however fraught with uh, exceptions, um, it's great. It's it's a natural barrier, not just an, a country barrier, but it's a natural psychological barrier for students to cross over. But actually, I think uh, that's one of the advantages because a student coming from the U.S. has already begun to step out of his or her comfort zone in order to come to another country. And so what we're trying to cultivate are students who have a cross-cultural sensitivity and are prepared to follow God anywhere. And in the case of students who might come up from Grand Rapids or from Florida or from wherever else, they've already they've already crossed that uh, initial boundary and begun to work outside their comfort zone. But it is a it is a stretch. So we're glad for any any uh, warming, softening of that border. Oh, certainly. And uh, on that, uh, going past your comfort zone and congratulations, 39 years, I believe your wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary and congratulations. Thank you. But When you went to Kingswood in 2015, did you know what you were getting yourself into? Were you familiar (laughs) with the Maritimes? No, not with the Maritimes to speak of. I'd only visited once. knew a little bit more about Kingswood, Bethany Bible College. I had come up in 1993 to interview for a job and was very impressed by what I encountered there and by President Metters and uh, would have taken the job, except that the Lord had um, the Lord led us to Indiana, where I was for 22 years. But it had largely to do not with the institutions that were in play, but because our daughter had uh, significant and rare health problems and uh, navigating the U.S. system was something we had already spent a few years doing and uh, under advisement, our doctor said probably should stay in the U.S. system for the sake of your daughter. So that's that's we took that as the leading of the Lord. And that's why we went to Indiana instead of New Brunswick. But I was familiar with Bethany Kingswood. but knowing what I was getting myself into, not a chance. <laughs> I'd never been a president before. And so that was new. But higher education, uh, Jeff, has changed a lot since even since you were in school. <clears throat> and um, biblical higher education, like the kind we're involved in, is facing more challenges than ever. So there's already a challenge with post-secondary education, value proposition and so forth. But then you add in the cultural challenges and the economic challenges and the challenges facing the church. And all of this hits a school like Kingswood. Um, So I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I am discovering what it means to follow God out on whatever limb he happens to be uh, sitting on and um, and discovering the joy of the kind of um, challenges that we're facing president lennox kingswood.edu and uh, you are the 12th president uh at kingswood formerly bethany bible college but could you just share a little bit about being part of the wesleyan denomination i have uh, friends that say um so you know this particular wesleyan college and i'm like actually there's only five within the denomination but can you just speak to the fact that the wesleyan denomination has its very own bible college Yes, it's the only Bible college in North America that the Wesleyans have. There are others around the world. Um, But uh, the other four colleges are liberal arts colleges, Houghton in New York State, not too far from you, uh, Southern Wesleyan in Central South Carolina, Oklahoma Wesleyan out near uh, in Bartlesville, 
and then Indiana Wesleyan, where I was for 22 years um, in north central Indiana. I I feel like uh, our territory, well, our territory does encompass all of North America, not just Canada. And we have the opportunity to recruit from all across North America. <clears throat> uh, when I came here, I was not a product of a Bible college. I had graduated from a liberal arts college and gone to seminary and then graduate school. And I did not fully appreciate what a Bible college was until I got here. Shortly after arriving, I discovered that this is exactly the kind of school that God can use as the church is changing, as its needs are changing. It needs to develop men and women who have the kind of uh, Navy SEAL, Green Beret readiness yeah. to tackle whatever kind of ministry, co-vocational ministry might be theirs. Um, and so while the Bible College movement began only about 150 years ago in North America, and while many would have thought that it would have served its time and then gone off the radar, I actually believe that the best time for Bible College education is now, given the needs of the church. And President Lennox, if you would, could you just share a little bit about the staff that you have that you work with? I received a call. It was during the share and uh, I was so impressed with the uh, student that called me. But following, I just shared, they asked how they could pray for me, for our family. Hmm. I shared the request we mentioned yeah. off air about my wife going through cancer. But then Debbie Benson called me, who was <laughs> working there when I attended, and it was such a thoughtful message that it truly is a family that uh, you become a part of. Maybe it's because it's the size or maybe it's because people really care about one another. And then a year and a half, two years ago, I got to meet uh, Stephen Elliott and uh, he was certainly dynamic. Mm -hmm. Now he leads uh, Canada, the superintendent for the Western denomination. But can you just talk about some of the faculty and staff that you get to provide oversight, but I believe you certainly learn from as well? Absolutely. Yeah, you're so right. And you've mentioned two just stellar examples of what Kingswood is about. Um, we have a staff of about 35 and uh, about a dozen faculty members. Our faculty student to faculty ratio is about 10 to 1 at this point, which is a very, very good number in terms of student faculty interaction. Yes. Um, in terms of staff, you mentioned Debbie Benson, and she's been here for decades, but she embodies the kind of uh, care that students and staff receive from one another. And it is a function partly of size. I think you're right. We're only about 120 students. And so we have an opportunity to really invest in our students and each other. Uh, but it is also part of the ethos of the institution, uh, mm -hmm. partly because we're a Bible college. We we seem to be doing pretty well at generating students and staff who really have a high degree of compassion for one another and servant leadership. And so it's really a characteristic of, of uh, alumni. That's what people tell us. Um, in terms of faculty, I'm very proud of our faculty. And you know some of them. You mentioned Dr. Elliott. Um, but we also have uh, two brand new faculty. Axel Kazadi is a product of Kingswood, went off mm -hmm. and is doing his doctorate um, in central Canada in Ontario, studying the church. He teaches theology. Axel actually uh, came to us from um, the Congo with his family as a young boy and having spent some time in Nigeria as well, and then migrated to New Brunswick 
and then came to us. So he's uh, at least trilingual, brilliant guy, but he, he just has this heart for people. And um, so we're excited to have him. And then Candace Jackson, uh, who is also a product of Kingswood uh, from the States, has been serving as our professor of worship now for a year. She starts her second year in just a few days. And she brings a perspective that I think is so valuable and so welcome, but again, just a real compassion for others. And I could go on, there are, there are others, but I think I better stop at that point. Um, but we're very proud of our staff and our faculty and um, what they bring to our students. Our students see them as being really a tremendous source, not only of information, but an inspiration for transformation too, which is the way it should be. Oh, it certainly should. And uh, President Lennox, kingswood.edu, my alma mater, making some time and just sharing. And I know for myself, uh, because we had rented a middle school for the last four years when the pandemic hit, it changed everything. And we went online and it was good. And you know, God's presence is everywhere. And so you can meet in your homes. And we are the church. It's not a building. But I did attend a service where they had live, in-person worship music, which opened the door and allowed us to worship. And there was just something different about being together, especially mm -hmm. singing together. Can you just talk yeah. about now that we take the opportunities, maybe not the full-blown worship services we were accustomed to, but the small groups that we can get together, sing together, pray together. How important is it that we once again regather together? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the transformation into the digital side of things that took place um, back in March of 2020 and, and, and since was really remarkable. And it demonstrated a certain nimbleness uh, in the part of churches. But over and over, I keep hearing technology is not the end. Technology is a tool to help us mm -hmm. to meet the end. And the end is uh, the sanctifying context is the term that I use for it. We, we were meant to grow together in community. Now, you certainly can have digital community, but there is a value in just being able to look across the table uh, and look into the eyes of a person to be able to reach out, shake hands, give a hug. Um, there, is a, there is a capacity for the kind of fellowship that God designed to be an important part of our, our spiritual formation. And to the extent that we're able to do that again in ways that are safe and appropriate, I would think that that would be really important. Now, there are, there are challenges. There are uh, a year ago, we were wondering how we could do that safely. And the challenge was a common fear of infection, very, va very valid fear. But I think, Pastor Jeff, that the concern now as we regather is not so much a common fear as it is uh, competing perspectives. Hmm. You have some people who feel like the digital is good enough. We don't need to worry about getting together. And those, even those who do get together, how, how comfortable do you feel? There's an awkwardness. I was, I was greeting people at the door of our church uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it, I wanted so much to reach out and shake hands. And I didn't know if shaking hands was appropriate to everybody. And so I finally just started saying, you know, handshakes are optional and people right. laughed and some shook my hand and some just put their hands in their pocket. But that to me is symptomatic of a, 
uh, we're just not exactly sure how this is going to look. And then you add in the people who are strongly anti-vax or anti-mask and those who are strongly in favor of it. And it just creates a dynamic, a kind of uh, just a tension. And so I think that as we as we navigate the regathering, which I think is so important, we have to do that in a way that allows us to to model the kind of love which covers a multitude of sins yes. <laughs> and um, and love that Paul describes as binding all things together in unity. And this is a good chance for us to put our love into practice in the whole process of regathering. That's so true and uh, well said. And uh, President Lennox is on Twitter. You can see the handle right there. It's SJ Lennox KU. And something about uh, social media that can also be divisive. But I Absolutely. do wonder if we had a greater connection with one another as we are all followers of Jesus, whoever said beggars sharing bread with other beggars, I really hold to that, to that statement. Switching gears a little bit. And I graduated mm -hmm. Bethany Bible College 1997. I've had several friends that graduated with me or were attending at the same time as me, either get divorced, leave ministry, or make a decision contrary to what they stated way back when we were in Bible college. How much of that has to do with connection versus distraction, or do the two go together? Oh, I don't know that I have a good answer for you there, Pastor Jeff. It is a heartbreak for me. I try to communicate to our students that as much as I love their affirmation of their faith when we're all together in community, I keep trying to tell them that the real test, the real final exam is further down the road, that this is a matter of establishing some things now, which when the circumstances change and life circumstances change, what you've established now, you return to and it, it holds you. But that's a daily choice. And I'm sure you know this from your own experience of the last year or so, where you have seen how essentially every, every wind and storm that's hit your family has called forth from you a choice. Mm -hmm. And you, you and your wife and family have had to make that choice continually that you will remain true to what you know in spite of all the things that you don't know. And so when I hear of these stories of classmates of yours and others who have chosen for whatever reason to leave the ministry or to um, leave their spouse or to leave the faith, um, I recognize that that choice needs to be made every day in, in storm and in green pastures. It has to be made every day that I'm going to continue to follow Christ um, the value of an education like what we provide here is that it gives people a good chance to experience the presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And my hope would be that as, as these students graduate, what they remember is the reality that they encountered at a place like this. And that whatever choice they make, at least they have a basis for comparison. Are they going to choose to to reaffirm their conviction that that was in fact reality, or are they going to choose to forget? And that, that is a choice that they make and, and something I pray for our alumni regularly, that they would continue to make the right choices. 
And that's so good. And I just look at my experience, uh, the four years I spent there, it was just phenomenal because there was an intentional connection with the spiritual and with the practical. And I just think of Mike McNeil and everything that he's done throughout the years, and he's still doing it, where he's all about putting your faith in action, where you love people, you present the gospel, but you allow God's Holy Spirit to move. When you think about some places that would put such a high emphasis on the academic, but they kind of lack with the practical. How as president, do you find that balance or communicate that to your professors, but to your students and those that uh, give financially as well? Yeah, no, you've, you've touched on really, I think, a great value of the Bible college environment. This has been part of the ethos of a Bible college from the beginning is marrying and, and retaining this connection between heart and hand heart, head in hand. And uh, I, I'm a product of a liberal arts education, a product of a seminary education. And I, I've seen certainly and appreciate the value of learning, of, of head knowledge. But I've come to understand the importance of keeping head, heart and hand together. And um, it happens naturally here because of our, our nature as a Bible college. I don't have to keep prodding our faculty to do it. I think where I have to prod is just to say more than ever, this is this is needed because eventually uh, ed higher education is coming around to the idea that that experiential learning is something that particularly Gen Z is um, is really expecting and looking toward and choosing on the basis of. And so I'm, I'm I continue to encourage our faculty and staff to emphasize this. Um, there is a temptation always in higher education to aspire to things and to, to set certain aspirational goals for education, certain benchmark institutions and who you choose as your benchmark, you know, determines the direction you want to go. And I, um, I keep encouraging our faculty and they're very responsive to this idea that what we're after is a person who graduates from here, having learned everything that they would learn or should learn but they've learned also what to do with it. That's the hands. And it's most especially, they've done so cultivating the heart because you can have all the knowledge and all the skill, but if it doesn't fit with a heart that's committed to Christ, you've actually um, created more problems than you've potentially solved. Well, and that leads me to the next question, which probably sounds like a gotcha question, which I don't mean it to be. And I'm as conservative as you could be. And uh, just talk to my parents. They were, um, well, much beyond teetotalers growing up. But I look at students now and they would say, well, I'm 21 or of age. And I know the denomination takes a stance or I signed a contract that I would act and behave a certain way. Right. But I know here in Vermont and across the states and Canada as well, with the legalization of marijuana in so many places, with people just saying, well, I'm not getting drunk. The Bible says don't get drunk with wine. I just want to have a drink on occasion. When some of those hot topics come up as far as personal choices, how do you address that? And not necessarily as the denomination you represent, but just as a mentor or a friend that's been there and seen some of the dangers or some of these stories that would come out of some of this lack of integrity. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. And a, a perennial question for Christian higher education. 
Um, I think there's a couple of ways that one can go wrong with this, with this kind of an issue. Uh, one is to make that behavioral standard more important than it really is. Hmm. To treat a prohibition of cannabis use or non-medicinal cannabis use or uh, alcohol as if it's the cardinal sin, right. when it isn't. Um, students are smart. They figure out that you've made a major out of a minor and right. therefore your whole values judgment system is in question. Uh, an opposite mistake would be to wink and say, well, boys will be boys or girls will be girls and right. you know it'll happen, but we just try not to let it get out of hand. That's a mistake because it signals that what you say you believe is important, you don't really believe is important. You just have it there because for other reasons. So that's a mistake. I think the better, uh, the best choice is the one that we're continually aspiring to and that is to help students to understand that there may be some things that in and of themselves are not immoral, but are certainly unwise. Hmm. And I think Paul tr treads this uh, balance in his own, in the letter that he wrote to the first, uh, in first Corinthians, where he encourages the Corinthians to think not in terms of what is right and wrong, but what is uh, bad, good and best. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case, what we say to students is we live in community. And what we are about in community is something that requires the very best of us. And if we allow ourselves to be distracted by things that really we don't need to worry about, we don't need to be involved with it. It only muddies the waters. It only uh, clouds our judgment and sullies the, the community for the sake of community we are willing to set these things aside. Yes. And there are lots of good things that we set aside for the sake of community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we challenge our students to attend class. <laughs> well, they're setting aside things when they show up in a class. And so it's not like drinking is the cardinal sin, but, and here you don't have to be a believer to argue that the mixing of alcohol and adolescence, even later adolescence is not a good, choice. Yeah. And and there's no shortage of examples of where putting those two things together actually destroys the very thing that a post-secondary education is meant to accomplish. So it, we're really working with the better part of wisdom, not even just biblical wisdom, but the better right. part of right. wisdom to say certain things should be set aside. That's the commitment you made. How important is your word? Oh, I, I enjoy that answer, and thank you so much. And especially when you add lack of sleep. <laughs> so when you add <laughs> adolescence, lack of sleep, and alcohol, that's not not, not a good mix. Absolutely. Uh, President Lennox, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. And were your parents Christians? When did you come to faith? Yes, my parents were Christians and raised us in the church. Uh, my my initial commitment to Christ took place when I was just young, three and three or four years old. And I remember a uh, conversation with my mom and understanding it to the extent that a older toddler could. Um, and then it was about 10 years after that, that it really dawned on me what all this involved and um, became much more of a personal choice that had deep rooted implications uh, when I was in high school. But I would trace my conversion back to that initial three to four year old conversation with my mom 
And again, President Steve Lennox on Instagram at steve.lennox, kingswood.edu. He serves as a president there. Uh, in my experience, there were students that attended Bethany Kingswood now that they needed that year or two to get that spiritual foundation, that grounding, those friendships that have lasted the test of time. And then there are those, which I would say, like myself, not being arrogant, but really felt the call of God in my life, that there was nothing else I could do except go into vocational ministry. Can you share when you felt the call of God? That seems so ominous at times, but could you just share your experience about being called to vocational ministry? Yeah, I, I appreciate your comment there, Pastor Jeff, that you're not wanting to be arrogant. The fact that you felt it necessary to add that um, is uh, indicative of how people misunderstand this sense of calling as if hmm. if you've been called into full-time vocational ministry you've somehow been placed on a pedestal and you know you know everything goes well for you from that point on I look at it as a tremendous burden and responsibility a, a, a sacred privilege but but what not one to be taken lightly and so having rudimentary thoughts about this as a high school student, I decided that the one thing I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew the one thing I didn't want to be was a pastor. So I only had one thing on my don't do list and it was to be a pastor. And the reason was because of this sense of responsibility, I felt very responsible that I should be a good dad when I grew up. I, I don't know why I just felt like that was something I should do. And I looked at the examples of ministry that I had in front of me, and they seemed to have a difficult time being a good dad and being a pastor. And so I said, well, you can't do both. I want to be a good dad. Therefore, I won't be a pastor. I mean, I'm not a bright guy. So this is the simple way my mind was operating. So I went to I went to college. I went to Houghton. And um, it was in my very first year, my very first month of my very first year, I was walking from my residence hall, which was Shenawana Hall. If you know Houghton, it's up on the hill. And I was walking onto the main campus. As true as I'm telling you, true as I'm saying, Jeff, I walked by a certain spot on campus and knew that I was to be in vocational ministry. It was like I, I walked through a curtain, a stage curtain, and on the one side, what I saw was not ministry. And on the other side, all I saw was ministry. Well, I had a problem because I had to figure out how to do this and be a good dad because I still knew that's what I needed to do. And so mm. long story short, God answered that um, question of how you could do both. Obviously, you could do both. Um, and off I went. And there were some still some twists and turns, but I've never, never deviated from that clear sense of calling that took place when I was a freshman at Houghton. Uh, I took my family back there. We had to go back as a family for something. And I, I, I decided I was going to show my two kids and Eileen uh, where I received my call to ministry because it was really a location on campus. Wow. So I took them. <laughs> they had discovered subsequently, they had discovered uh, a natural gas right right where I was called to ministry. <laughs> and so the spot where I was called on the campus of Houghton College is now marked by the, the cap of a natural gas well. <laughs> and I leave it to the audience to draw their own conclusions about that. But anyway, that's that's where it was. And it has been an anchor for me ever since. Now, I remember when I was younger, and I assume when you were a freshman at Houghton, there's a sense of being an idealist and then learning and growing up to be a realist. 
I just look yeah. at the tragedies that have taken place, whether Haiti, Afghanistan. Uh, I appreciate Scott Wood so much that has the Boaz Ministries that just goes right. and help rescue students out of sex trafficking. Uh, how do you communicate? Well, let me back up. My daughter, she wants to go into health sciences. She's 17 years old. And it sounds great until she told me that I think I might want to be a missionary. And then I was mm. applauding. But then on one hand, I'm like, wait, you probably mean uh, a foreign missionary, not a missionary to our town. And just the thought of her leaving our house and the safety. We trust God. But as a parent, you always get concerned for you. Where is that wisdom you spoke of before, but also that tempering of don't be an idealist, just be obedient to God's call or leading on your life. Hmm. Well, I assume the rest of the story is that you told your daughter that you'll support her, even if it means she goes to serve the health needs of women in Afghanistan. Yes. Um, and I'm not being facetious. Actually, one of the biggest problems we face in helping students to realize the calling that God has in their lives is uh, Christian parents who will sing about how they've laid it all on the altar. But when their son or daughter actually wants to come to college in Canada to be in ministry are the first ones to try to talk them out of it. Yeah. It's a heartbreak. Um, but I think actually, I think idealism is one of God's tools to get to get individuals, particularly young or newly initiated individuals, over the initial hurdles that they're going to face. You need the idealism to launch you. It's like a rocket. You have to have that extra fuel to get you off the ground. You don't need that extra fuel the whole time. In fact, if you had that extra fuel the whole time, probably would do more harm than good, probably would limit you. But I do think that idealism is a very valuable tool insofar as it goes, uh, as you know, and as I know, idealism gets tempered by um, reality. Mm -hmm. And then what remains, if we cultivate it properly, is a sense of conviction, hmm. which maintains um, a clarity about the goal, but now is tempered by wisdom which gives you a better sense of how to reach the goal. So as an idealist, you're thinking, this is the way I see it and everybody else ought to see it this way. And it doesn't work that way. But the realist who operates out of conviction, he or she understands the goal hasn't changed, right. but I'm going to have to be wiser about how I go about pursuing and attaining that goal and, and more patient and understand that people need time, circumstances need time. And, and so it's really not a, Idealism is not a liability. It's an asset, but it's an asset which needs at some point to morph into something more convictional, informed by wisdom. That's so good. Uh, I apologize. The phone's ringing in the background, but uh, it'll go to voicemail. Um, and I just look as we look to wrap up. Um, when we think about students and I grew up, as I mentioned, my very, parents were very conservative. Anytime the church doors were open, I was there. Mm -hmm. But I remember there were probably three Sundays in a row that I slept in when I was a freshman uh, religion major studying to become a youth pastor because, well, my parents weren't there and I was going to sleep in Sunday morning. Yeah. Can you just share a little bit some of those natural tendencies 
that college-age students have, but how do you, the staff, people pray and engage kids to say, I understand you might want to sleep in, but you're preparing for ministry. I remember Doc Gordon, he was um, a professor at the time, Danny Gordon, and he said, if you take a Sunday off every time you don't feel well, like you have a headache or you just feel off, then you're going to hurt your credibility. Can you just speak to that a little bit? I think Danny was wise in many ways, um, and that was one of them. I'm, I'm just getting ready to do a presentation for a group of faculty at a Christian college here next week. And one of the things that we'll be touching on is just how faith is formed. Uh, this particular age group that we're working with, particularly 18 to 22 year olds, are in a process of, of moving from uh, an authority bound faith to uh, more of a measured conviction type of hmm. faith. They're in that process and, and we're getting them pretty much right at the beginning of that process. And so the sleeping in because your parents aren't around was an indication that you had been operating under really an authority bound faith and you take right. the authority away. They're back in New Hampshire or wherever. Um, you, you'll just do whatever you feel like doing. Well, that's natural. That's natural. And so um, I, I don't think it's necessary to scold or to, to point out something like, oh, you know, this is a terrible indication of how, just how shallow you are. I think it's to recognize, listen, this is where you are. You're, you're used to being told what to do. And eventually where you need to get to is telling yourself what you need to do. And this process of, of uh, self-discipline, getting you from where you are, you're where you need to be, is what we're here to help you do. And so we'll put some rules in place and you'll acknowledge that those rules are binding and you'll mm -hmm. govern yourself based on those rules. I love the way Dean Saban here, our VP for student life, he manages this as a really a learning environment, not just in the classroom, but in the residence halls and the dining yeah. hall. You're learning how to be the person that God wants you to be. And you'll make mistakes. We all make mistakes and we'll learn from those mistakes. And if those mistakes have impacted other people, you'll have to do some apologies. There may be some remediation, but it's really all about all about learning. Right. And so I hope that we were gentle with you in those three weeks. <laughs> but anyway, that would be our aspiration to help help a student like you whose heart's in the right place, even though they're still being formed to get to the place where they can say, I have a headache. I don't feel yeah. like preaching today, but I'm going to go to church because that's right. what people are expecting of me. Even more than that, that's what I'm expecting of myself and what I want to give as an act of worship to God. Yeah, I had a good friend uh, show up that fourth Sunday and bang on the door and wake me up. And he said, wait, aren't you here to study for vocational ministry? You need, you need to get out of bed. And those relationship, re, relationships yeah. are huge. As we let you go, how can we be praying for Kingswood? I mean, it's not centrally located within the United States or North America. There's all sorts of needs and concerns, whether it's with the border, whether it's financial how can we be praying for you and the leadership, but those that attend Kingswood as well? I appreciate that. Prayer is, uh, prayer is absolutely key to what we're doing. Um, we're, we're blessed to be at a, in a portion of the North America that's incredibly safe, even more safe than Vermont. We're um, New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. We have like, uh, I don't know, 10 cases per 100,000 or something right, like right. that. Um, 
Uh, and cost-wise, I think Kingswood is a great option, but there are challenges, significant challenges that every Christian higher education institution faces, including Kingswood. So I would ask that those who are listening or watching would pray that God would call individuals who should be studying for either vocational ministry or should be preparing themselves to do ministry through the vocation, if they belong at Kingswood, that God would put it on their heart. I love the way God does that. And I'm just asking that he continue to do that. I think that would be one thing. Uh, but a second prayer request is, uh, and by the way, there's still time for them to get in uh, for this fall. But a second thing is, Pastor Jeff, <clears throat> we have come through the, the worst of COVID and God has been incredibly um blessing us financially and in so many other ways. We haven't had a single case of COVID among students or staff wow. Wow. for the entire time. And I think that's because God has been blessing the efforts that, and I know God has been blessing us with, with the right students and the right people, staff and the right donors. And, but, but I'm thinking, okay, blessed why? And I'm guessing it's blessed to be a blessing. If God has put us in a position where we can make some strategic investments for the future, what ought those investments to be? And he's already brought certain things into our horizon. Um, and now it's just wisdom. What's the best use of what God has entrusted to us? We're seeing our digital, our online programs launch this fall, and the numbers are way better than what we were hoping for. So, okay, God. What do you want us to do here? How do you want us to capitalize on this? We're seeing opportunities, people coming to us and asking us to partner with them and others who seem to be open to partnership. Okay, God, give us wisdom. So that I would I would ask those who are listening and watching to pray for wisdom for those of us making these decisions uh, that God would show us what it is he's been preparing us to do. Um, President Lennox, we thank you so much for your time, and we certainly will be praying for you. Thanks. I'm going to be sharing, sharing this with our church board as well and just lifting you personally up in prayer, but those at Kingswood. It was a tremendous four years of my life that right. certainly impacted and God used. And um, whether it's a soft spot or uh, I just love, I just love uh, that area of the world, Sussex, New Brunswick. Who would have thought? But um, as we pray for you, would you just pray for us? And I'm just reminded, praying for workers for the harvest at our local church, but as the Big C Church as a whole, that people would hear God's voice clearly and follow him obediently, whether to Kingswood or another place that would prepare them for vocational service. Would you just yeah. please lead us in prayer? I will. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for Pastor Jeff and the way that you have helped him and his, his wife and family through these challenging days. And I pray that they would continue to be uplifted and supplied by your grace and your resources to help them with everything they face. Um, undergird them, give them wisdom and provide for them in this difficult and challenging time. We do pray for your church, not only Pastor Jeff's church and the one I attend, but all churches where the gospel is preached. I ask, Father, that as we return to something more like normal and we navigate the challenges that are faced by the, the disequilibrium and, and the difference of opinion, that we might make this an occasion of reaching deep and finding the love that your spirit places in our hearts and let love 
bind us all together in perfect unity. And I do pray, as Pastor Jeff has pointed out, for workers. I pray for people who see ministry as the vocation to which you're calling them, something that Pastor Jeff and I share, and there are many others that you want to tap on the shoulder and draw into this high and holy calling with this great responsibility. But I believe there are also men and women who are currently serving in vocations in the marketplace who you want to call to use their vocation as ministry, to be marketplace ministers. And I pray, Father, that they would sense that call and respond in obedience, that you would guide them to get what they need in terms of insight and education to prepare them to be marketplace ministers. And I thank you for what we have available. And there are others who are providing these kinds of resources. But, Father, I believe that in the coming decades, these marketplace multipliers are going to be a key to the advancement of your kingdom in a post-Christian North America and beyond. And so I pray that that in Pastor Jeff's church and in my church and, and, and uh, in churches all across North America, that men and women will sense your call on their lives and will serve you in faithfulness, either as a vocation or through their vocation, and that schools like Kingswood will step up to provide what we can to help with resources. Thank you, Father. You've agreed and promised that your church would never lack for what it needs to stand and stand strong. And I pray that this time, more than any other up to this point, we will sense that your spirit is doing just that and strengthening and expanding and extending your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. President Lennox, thank you so much for making the time today. And uh, we love what you're doing. We're uh, your biggest cheerleaders and we want to be co-laborers with you. So thank you. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Pastor Jeff. It's been a joy. I look forward to it. Yes, sir. And again, that's President Steve Lennox, kingswood.edu, kingswood.edu, if you'd like more information. And uh, subscribe to Apple iTunes or Google Podcasts, where this will be posted as well. And that's Living Hope Wesleyan. Thank you all. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, we wish you the best.